All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is the introduction for episode 148. We have Jason Lindgren with us and we have Cal Washington. This is going to be an exciting episode. So often uh, we lay down things that are a bit depressing, but this episode offers a way forward. Uh, in a word, it has to do with liability. And in hour two, we get into all kinds of things, including success stories about 5G networks. Uh, from what I'm understanding, one of the islands in Hawaii successfully fought off 5G using these methods. But this is a hell of an episode for people who are interested in actually having a actionable way forward. You should listen in and join us over at Crow Triple Seven Radio for the Free Speech Zone. There it is, man. Let's jump in with Jason and Cal Washington. Cheers. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 148. Jason Lingren is with me and Cal Washington, who we're very excited to have. So many of the episodes we do, uh, people walk away feeling a bit helpless. Uh, this episode is not going to be that. Uh, we're going to give uh, ways that people can actually take action. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And a fine good afternoon to you, sir. So I want to maximize every minute we can with Cal. We'll, we'll get him in here in a minute. Uh, but what do we have for the intro? I guess, firstly, we need to state that we've got a new recording method. So we're hoping the quality of the episodes, audio quality goes up from here. Anyone who's interested can ping us in private about that. Uh, last night, which was Saturday, uh, the, the 16th, Freeman Fly put out the episode on his his private website that Jason and I did with him. Uh, anything else, Jason? Nope. Let's rock and roll, man. All right. Welcome, Cal. Oh, thanks for having me. Hey, thank you so much for being here. Um, we've got an audience here that's hungry for things they can do and solutions. And so, so much of our time is spent trying to educate people about what's going on um, that they get a little hopeless at times. So I'm hoping that what we can do here is show people that there is a way forward. Um, I think I can help with that. Um, so uh, we can get started. I can start with my story. So there's a little bit of background, if that helps. Let's do it. Okay, so I was just a fairly normal guy, ended up in a court-type situation through a, through a divorce. The truth is the truth. And um, when I got in there, I found out that things were not as I thought they were. That's the best way I can describe it, because um, we're, we're trained from a very young age about what the reality is and how, what, who the government is and who, what the courts are, etc. But I, what I found was that was all untrue, which um, was kind of like going the beginning of the rabbit hole, which uh, a lot of you have been down. Um, so through all that, over a, almost a 10-year period, I tried a lot of things in the court system. And then came to the realization of a jurisdiction that was hidden in plain view. Once I understood that, um, my whole experience started to change to the point where I am now left alone. Cal, can you name that jurisdiction so we can get it on the record? That is called Law Merchant and or Lex Mercatoria in the Latin. Well, that sounds an awful lot like maritime admiralty law, doesn't it? It's very related to that. Um, the Admiralty had its own um, jurisdiction because it had dealt with ships, etc., and the bonding and all the things that went along with that. So they kind of am they amalgamated the Lex Mercatoria, which was more to do with medieval fairs, uh, international fairs where people would um, sell their wares and, and etc. And so there was a jurisdiction that came up from the merchants. It's a merchant system. And it was to litigate any issues 
between merchants who came from different countries, spoke different languages, and had different laws and customs. And so it was um, it was needed for in order for international trade to happen and to be able to um, adjudicate problems. Okay, so to be perfectly clear here, Cal, when you walked into these courtrooms and over all this time, what form of law was being practiced that you recognized as the problem? What would you call that form of law? Well, I would say they're operating in law merchant. Now, when I got in there, I didn't know that because I didn't know law merchant existed. I had no idea. And so then you learn about uh, Admiralty and straw man and um, these contrivances that they've gotten us into. And then you spend your time fighting that or trying to get out of it or um, correct the assumptions and all these things. And, And you can spend a lot of time doing that. What I found was they just didn't recognize it. Anything you did, they just kept going with their system. And um, what happened for me was I learned the system uh, just by trying to go through the next rabbit hole. Once we learned it, it was a definite change in the results that I was getting. So instead of being arrested constantly and, you know, SWAT teams at my house and pepper sprayed and all the nasty things that this thing can come at you with, when we first started doing it, the judge was running out of the room. And so that's when you, you know, the light bulbs go off and you're, okay, we're on to something here. And uh, then you just keep going down that path and um, adept at it. And eventually they, they had to leave me alone. So, so let me jump in here to make sure that we're perfectly crystal clear. When you're talking about judges fleeing the room when you're walking in, um, I'm guessing, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you have changed the jurisdiction of the courtroom that you're walking into. I mean, what are we talking about here? Have you gone back to common law or what's the change that gets a so-called magistrate fleeing the bench when you walk in? It has nothing to do with common law per se. Uh, it has to do with I'm operating in Lex Mercatoria and Lex Mercatoria or Law Merchant when you understand it um, from the outside, when you're first getting into it, it looks uh, fraudulent because of the, some of the ways things go. But once you understand it um, more objectively and fully, it is a self-correcting system. And that's the key, that's a key to understand. So anybody that would normally take advantage of, a, of another merchant, it would double back on them like a shotgun clause um, people are familiar with. It, it works like that. So the problem is they were operating in it and everybody else was ignorant to how it worked. So then the, it never doubled back on them. So they were able to just um, roll over people. And that's that's what people were experiencing, but they didn't know why. And I didn't know why. Once you understand how it works, now you can actually counter what they're doing in a monetary way. And that's why the judge is running out of the room, because he is part of the, the system that is trying to move in a fraudulent way. And and I've countered in in the proper way. Therefore, it's now going to double back on him and he's about to lose his everything he's got. Let me try to set the, the table one more time. Uh, that was a complete miss with my common law assumption. So you're working within Lex Mercatoria and yeah. you are understanding, but it sounds like you're bringing liability to bear. Is that correct? That's correct, because that's how Lex Mercatoria works. Now, what you have to understand is historically, going back to around the 1600s, there's a, there was a, um, a head magistrate in, in England. His name was Lord Mansfield. You can look it up. He successfully fused the Lex Mercatoria into the common law. So there's a there's an actual historical point where 
it went in, but they just didn't talk about it. The, the judges were to take judicial notice of the Lex Mercatoria. And the reason why they did that is because the Lex Mercatoria, the litigation was very fast. And you could get results in one day, not in three months of um, sifting through evidence. And the reason that was was because you're dealing with transient merchants and or people who were about to get on on a boat at the next tide. And therefore, if you had a dispute with somebody, they're gone. So these the, the, the court moved very quickly and there was a lot of money uh, involved, etc. So the king and, and through Lord Mansfield, they they fused the um, Lex Mercatoria, all the staple courts and the pie powder courts all under the umbrella. So that passed down through, you know, centuries and was operating in plain view, but people didn't understand how it worked. And that's, that's why the result, the people are getting the results they are in courts, etc. Okay, so we have a limited amount of time to get first hour information out to a very wide audience. So let me ask you this. Uh, I watched a couple clips of yours where you were referencing an actual judge fleeing the bench as you're on your way in. So I'm making another assumption here. You must have filed some paperwork with the court for that judge to have read the docket or whatever they did and realized they didn't want to be there because of liability. Can you set the table? Can you begin to describe how this process works and why, you know, in, in, in the example you used where the judge fled the bench, what's going on there? How did it all happen? What actions did you take to bring liability into the basically mercantile law system? So this was on a um, driving without insurance uh, charge, um, just so just to get a background, because I, as as I was learning, I I stopped participating in in um, insuring my car, or I did it in a different way. So we had learned how to do bonds based on the birth certificate, which is based, which is the straw man idea that people are are familiar with out of Admiralty, what they call Admiralty. So what we did was we learned how to use that birth certificate entity in order to write commercial instruments, what are known as commercial instruments in Lex Mercatoria. And that falls under bills of exchange. And you'll find bills of exchange acts that are very confusing. So what we did is we put a bond in on the case. Now, all the cases are bonded because they're all commercial, in fact, because they're operating in Lex Mercatoria. It's all a business. So there's a hidden, a hidden um, commercial aspect to everything that happens in a court. And they have to bond because of the common law and you're dealing with actual flesh and blood men are being affected by the straw man that they've created for each one. So they have to actually bond um, in case there is a, in case it causes harm, which it normally does. But people just don't know what to do. So we bond, we bonded this case and um, using U.S. Treasury, and I live in Canada, so just so you understand that. Once the judge saw that this thing was bonded at a, a level that was beyond his own indemnity bond and probably the bonding that was on the case, I basically owned the case or was running it and because um, I'm taking the liability through the bond. I know this is going to be uh, hard for people to digest, but that, that's how it happened. So as I was walking in the door, he was running off the bench because he didn't want to have anything to do with this case. But wait a minute, let's address that for a second. So we've heard all these accounts. Jason and I ran a four-part law series 
Um, we heard all different ways. Basically, Jason and I came to the conclusion there's more than one way to skin a cat here. We heard all the way from people in common law, ba biblically based common law to other messages. What we're talking about here with you is you are working within the scope of the law being presented to you in the courtroom. So now you have the so-called judge fleeing the court. Who the hell's in charge now? You just walked into a courtroom where the judge has fled. What does all that mean? Well, here's the thing. As I was doing all of these things, we were learning it. What I know now is different than what was happening in real time back then. So in what I know now is I was in charge of the court. And the prosecutor actually came up to me um, privately in, right in front of the and said, what do you want to do? <laughs> So what, I got I to gotta ask, what did you do? Did, did you dismiss I, with extreme prejudice or what, what that's, happened? That's what I said. And he said, well, they, he said, well, that's not going to happen. And so, and then he turned, turned away and turned around and walked away. Right. So I went, whatever. And I didn't know what to do. I should have made declarations. Um, that's what I would do now. I would make um, very vocal declarations on the record and shut the court case down and then walk out. If you don't mind me asking, uh, what was the size of that bond? Did you arbitrarily pick a number or was there design in the value of the bond? What we were told is 300 million is a, is a number that kind of works well within, within the system. I can't remember the reasoning why. I think I did used to know, but it doesn't really matter. We've done bonds um, larger and smaller, but 300 million was um, what we were doing at that time. So it was a $300 million bond, I would almost guess. Okay, so you're, you're standing there in a court. The judge has fled the, the ship, to make a pun. Uh, the prosecutor's asking you what you want to do. You've declared that you'd like the case dismissed with extreme prejudice. Prosecutor has said, no such luck. So what happens? Then the judge came back in the room. And I learned after that he has probably changed jurisdictions and changed his... Um, it gets into spiritual things. He moves from like a Levite priest into um, Melchizedek type priesthood. And there's a bunch of different priesthoods in the, you know, in more spiritual end of things. Regardless, he did come back in and probably in a different capacity, but I wouldn't have known that at the time. So if I'm not mistaken, uh, we've heard these tales over and over. There's basically three levels, or at least that's what we've been told. If that judge leaves and comes back, he's up the stakes. He's playing for a bigger, more serious piece of the pie now. If it happens a third time, we're told that that's like for all the marbles. That's serious business. Um, he's up the ante. Um, you're, you're referring to it as almost a spiritual change in jurisdiction or the type of law that the magistrate is practicing. But we've also heard that if you beat the magistrate at that third level, then it's game over for the magistrate himself. Is there any truth to these things? Yes, everything's done in threes. And um, this played out uh, numerous times, even through the mails, etc. So the judge coming back in the room, I was in ignorance still at that point of some of these things and I uh, didn't know what to do. So like I said, now I would I would operate in a different way because I do understand what is what how it works. But I'm never in there anymore. They don't come and charge me with anything. They never will. I don't think in my lifetime. Do you have an ongoing bond filed with the court in your area? No, I did bonds on each case, and then I started bonding other people their cases as well. So we had um, numerous criminal charges dropped throughout our sort of learning experience, even one that was, you know, the alleged assault on a peace officer, which they normally don't, they don't drop those. 
And so we, we've been through a lot. I've been through a lot. I've seen a lot. And it's very clear to me that Lex Mercatoria is the underlying um, system that they're operating in. And once you can learn it and operate in it, they are really stuck. Is that the same for the United States? You're in Canada and that's what you found to be true. Is that true for us here? Do you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So let me fast forward a little bit. We just expressed how you got your big boy teeth in a courtroom, not understanding exactly what to do. I'm guessing there must have been a point some somewhere forward from where we just addressed where you found success. Is that true? Yes. And that was um, on the same charge. Yeah, it was on the exact same charge where this judge ran out of the room. They left me alone for about a year after that. And um, I imagine they had to get their judges up to speed. because I think we were ahead of them uh, as far as knowledge. And um, they came and arrested me. I was I, um, on the same charge and um, they held me without bail. So a one day trial took 60 days. Uh, I was in jail for 60 days. And at the end of it, because another instrument was put in to pay for my incarceration, was a, which was a, a promissory note this time, so we actually paid them, not a, not a bond. The judge, in order to make the transaction correct, had to give me a piece of paper saying she gave me 59 days back. After you'd already served 60. I've already done 60. She gave me one day in jail as part of my sentence. But she had to deal with the 59 because they did take the payment. So what they tried to do was give me my time back on a piece of paper, which is 59 days credit. So now it's about to get interesting, I'm guessing, because you're going to counter that offer, aren't you? Yeah, I said that the 59 days credit has to equal the promissory note. And she agreed in open court and then uh, then asked me how much the promissory note was. And it was $300 million. (laughs) So what happens? So she put the gavel down, ran out of the left, you know, quickly ended things. And so then we spent probably a couple of years trying to collect what ensued through that. We tried numerous ways. They just ignored it, ignored it, ignored it. Then we came across a template, which we modified. I never used templates exactly the way they are. I always take the essence of it and, and, and modify it. So we, we created this document and that document because it was, I think, because it was signed um, by the um, U.S. consulate. Because I'm, I'm also an American. I'm a dual citizen, so I use the U.S. consulate here where I live uh, to as my notary. And they put on on the very front page confirmation of an instrument. So they validated the value of this um, this document, and that caused uh, extreme um, reaction from from the province where I live. They even put it in the newspaper that they owed the money and they were panicking about how to pay it and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I'm, I don't know. Am I speaking to a millionaire right now? <laughs> on, on paper, yes, I have an asset. <laughs> I, ha- I have an asset. Um, turning it into fiat dollars is a whole other thing. But, but what ended up happening through all of that whole process of going after this and then you know starting with the court, then the province, then the, the feds, I had all this documentation where I defaulted them all because you, you have to send things three times. And um, so they all got that. I had all tracked all the mail, I had all the receipts, uh, witnesses, et cetera, as, as to what's in the en- en- envelope, et cetera. So it's ironclad that these people were given notice that the money was owed. Through that process, the highest unelected official in the country stepped down. Wow. 
he was the what is called the clerk of the Privy Council. His previous job before getting that job was he was very high up at the IMF, like a CEO. So now that's that's kind of all new world ordery, right? The International Monetary Fund. But don't let me interrupt you. Keep going. Yeah, but but what it did to us, and again, you got to understand the perspective of all this. This is us just trying stuff. We did. We weren't doing it from a place of specific knowledge, or uh, it was like, okay, well, let's try that. So everything that came, that happened was always a surprise to us. We weren't. Um, I, I want, I'm not in the position headspace that I am now. This is all. When that man stepped down, he was, that was the last thing that I, I thought would do, because he's a very insider insider. He, he's the type of person who has had been in meetings with the Rothschilds and the Queen. At, you know, th th this is a guy, this is a the top, top guy. You, you don't get in these positions unless you are really inside. And you, you can so, draw a line one-to-one -one that your actions facilitated his stepping down. Well, you know, people say it's a coincidence, but I had so many coincidences that it's a mathematical um, impossibility that they're coincidences. So he was just one. Here's the story on that. We sent um, the default. And because we're tracking the mail, we know exactly what time it gets delivered. It's, it's, it's on the computer. So it was delivered at around 1130 in the morning. He had done a press conference earlier in the morning, say at nine o'clock. Didn't announce any uh, retirement, but in the afternoon, grabbed his pencils and ran out. Now, do you think that's hypothetically because he would be on the hook for that three hundred million dollars to you? Yes, because um, part of the part of the um, stipulation was these are all they were all jointly and severally liable for this. But wait a minute here, Kyle. To have them in default, which is the stage of the the retelling here that you were at. I'm assuming that you must have issued some kind of a liability notice for them to have gone into default. Is that right? Yes. That notice is what we are now using that in power. It's been modified, but it is that it is in essence that notice. Okay. So I've got to ask a couple quick questions before you carry on. There's going to be a lot of followers here that are interested in asking questions and learning more. Uh, if I get you a login to Crow 777 Radio, will you be available in the comments section under this episode? Yeah. Okay. Uh, as just general information, um, can people try to contact you through the Empower Movement? Yes. Okay. I don't want to sidetrack you any further. You were in, you were in the middle of defaulting a very high-placed individual who has now resigned, which is a bit baffling to me because if they were liable while they were employed... How the hell does resigning change everything? They can't erase history, right? No, they can't. And um, the, the way it's worded, it, it follows the position and or the man or woman. So that's how we, we've uh, worded it, so that we're dealing with their straw man and uh, their flesh and blood being. Mostly what, what I've seen is um, it's almost always very high level people that run. If you understand a sort of a pyramidical structure, it's sort of at least midway if and closer to the top. They understand this and seemingly from there down, midway down, they don't understand this. And so it's always top people that run and he was no exception. And I think what it is, is um, there is there are various reasons and um, partly it's a knee jerk reaction. They just 
uh, you know, the fear just overwhelms them. Then there's the spiritual aspect of it. And I, I know your listeners probably touched on some of this. So we use the Bible um, as a as a document that is a contract as well. And some of these um, people or beings or however you look at things, they understand that aspect of it. And the, um, the repercussions in that kind of realm are grave. And that's what makes them do things that are irrational. So let's, let's back up a minute. Earlier, we were talking about a judge fleeing the bench, coming back in a different capacity, maybe having changed jurisdiction. However you would describe it, it's gotten a lot more serious. The third time they come in, they've ratcheted it up to the highest level. What I've heard is from the spiritual side of the house is if that judge gets beat at that third level, they're done. They're done as a judge, they're dishonored, um, all these kinds of things. And that has to do with the spiritual side of what we're talking about. Um, do you agree with all those secondhand assumptions? I would agree, but you have to understand that things are, are fractal in, in essence. And I, what, I, what I mean by that is things are more intertwined. So you can see things from um, various points of view, and it's all saying the same thing. So you can look at it commercially as well as spiritually. It, it's they're not that far removed from each other. It's one is mirroring the other. That's that's the best way I can put some of this stuff. So what you do in one realm, if you understand what it is you're doing, operates in other realms. It's it, um, especially if you have an um, an awareness and an intention for that to happen. And that's serious business. People are not fudging the lines, right? This is a bit like an oath, right? These are are deadly serious things. That's not like someone can just wake up one morning and say, I, I don't, I'm not going to follow these things anymore. The people engaged at this level, I mean, in for a penny and for a pound, right? Yes. Um, we, we had one guy in uh, Michigan, he was a lawyer working for uh, a city and he wrote, said, you know, there's no basis in law for what you're doing. All the same rhetoric we always get. And we, we just basically kept going with the, the second round. He, he realized that they're, they're not stopping he ended up stepping down and he wrote to us and said, you know, the utility has put aside $20 million to influence everything. And you might want to send your letters there. Right. So he, he basically acknowledged that what we're doing is correct. He left. Well, people did research on him. Turns out he's um, in the top 200 lawyers in the U S we didn't know this. And he's Opus Dei. Ah. So he's, yeah, so he's connected to the Vatican. So I think he ran um, less about the money and more about um, some of the uh, biblical uh, references that were in there and the and the and the repercussions of that. Well, what's what's interesting about this is you earlier stated that you know you start to get up somewhere around halfway above the center of the pyramid, and people are really kind of understanding what the game is down there at the bottom, um, making making the uh, assessment that people midway or below, even the judges, don't really understand. But I would point out, um, I think that's got to be true. There's probably a lot of lot of judges out there that may not, that may even listen to what we're saying here and think we're crazy. But the point is, is if you have changed liability of a courtroom and a judge knows enough to flee, that's a telling thing. Because the thing that judge knows is not a thing. Every other person drug in front of that court knows and that is one-sided insider baseball. It's dishonest. It's the opposite of the scales of justice. I would just point these things out. Yes, and, and that's alluding to what I said before. From an, a point of ignorance, for lack of a better word, of Lex Mercatoria, that's how it would seem. 
But once you have an understanding of it, what he's doing is just straight business. And if you don't understand it, that's your problem. That's how Lex Mercatoria works, because it was only designed for merchants. Once you understand it, that's when the game changes. And that's when the judges are like, well, I'm out of here. This isn't, it's all about honor and dishonor. And you'll, you'll hear that, like, uh, you'll hear phrases like an affidavit of truth is like truth in commerce is uh, paramount. An affidavit um, expresses the truth and honor and dishonor. All these words are all part of the Lex Mercatoria, but it only works if everybody understands it. And through ignorance, they've turned us in, um, they turned us all into merchants and then used merchant law against us, but they didn't t tell us how it worked. Your comment is true in one sense. From my perspective, it's just business. Is this coming from the whole old school Jewish point of view where they've got you by the testicles, so you're giving testimony, and they normally are super cocky about everything because they know that you don't know. And the moment you step in there and be like, I know what the game is, and you can't just railroad over me, now all of a sudden they're terrified because they normally are so used to having this massive advantage over everyone that they're afraid their testicles are now going to be on the block. This is the point, and, and, it, and it goes into spiritual realms, because if you understand some of the stories in the Bible, um, those are, the, are meant as allegories so you can understand how things work. And we're given over as slaves for a period. It's a, it's a fixed amount. And um, Daniel figured out one of the times that the, the Israelites were enslaved. It was a 70-year term. Well, they went past because nobody said anything. So somehow he figured it out and went, hey, you're, you're past. And so once things were brought forward in a, in a way, in a high enough jurisdiction, the Israelites went from being slaves in one day to get them back to their, to their land, give them all the gold out of the treasury and rebuild their temple. That's interesting. Who enslaved whom? That's what we're in right now. It's a worldwide. We're in this slavery, but it's, it's under contract. It's under, they're all, uh, um, there's terms of, there's rules of engagement. There's all these things. And, and yet we're in ignorance of it. But who was enslaving whom now? Are we talking about the Roman Empire? Are we talking about ancient Egypt? What exactly are we referring to here? It must be like Babylon well, it, or something. In the Bible, it was Babylon that was enslaving them. Then the Bible describes the system now as Babylon. It's just reincarnated um, four times. There's a statue in Daniel where it describes Babylon in four different um, manifestations, and the Romans would have been one of them. We're in the last one, and it's... Um, the legs are partly made of iron and partly made of clay, and the clay is men, uh, men and women, because we're from the earth. But there's a, something else that's not from the earth that is part of this, and something comes and chips at them, gets the men off of this thing, and the thing crumbles, the whole thing, the whole statue. Well, that would be the trifecta again, the three points. Yeah, that's the stage we're in, in my opinion. That's interesting, because I've never thought of the Daniel tale as an allegory in that way but cal somewhere in canada someone owes you 300 million bucks hmm. and that's a hell of a thing to be considered you know it, it's on the record you sent the liability notice they're in default if that happened to any one of us normal people in the world we'd be in trouble right now we'd be in default so basically you have a $300 million debt recognized as having been agreed to and recognized as having been default. So, I mean, this brings up so many questions. Um, if the city or town you live in ever tries to fine you, how can that even be true? 
they owe you $300 million. So where does it go from here? Uh, are well, you ever going to get your $300 million or what happens? Here's the thing. When I got into this whole mess, what I really wanted inside was leave me alone. Right. So I went through all this stuff and I was arrested and pepper sprayed and, and my, my brother was beat up by an ER team, you know, like a SWAT team by mistake, almost to death. Like I went through hell and all I wanted was left alone. Once I got this $300 million debt and really established it, guess what? You're left alone. But I, exactly. would, point, I would point out if you were in default, someone would be coming to collect from your butt. And so I've got to ask, if you walk away from a recognized debt, a recognized default situation from collecting on this, then in a way they've won again, haven't they? Because any of us put in that situation would pony up one way or the other. If it wasn't in money, it'd be in jail time or some other fine or, or nonsense. So, I mean, where does it go from here? Well, it seems like time is also equaling money, isn't it, at some level? It's about more than money. Money is, a, um, is an abstract thing. It, it represents something else. This is all spiritual stuff. There's a there's another reality, and that's people can come to grips with that in any way they want to. But it, that's the fact, and that reality there's a there's a the best way I can put it there's a glitch in that reality, and that glitch is partly because of contracts and covenants that need to be broken. And so what ended up happening for me and my 300 million after I went through all those processes and all those people stepped down and all the kerfuffle that it caused, I was instructed or led to default the queen because the queen's oath goes in between these realms Holy and it smokes. needed to be brought down. You, you, def you defaulted the queen of England? Yeah. Is that because the Vatican puts them in power? So we're seeing the, the pyramid structure here and this is why a person who was directly in association with the Vatican was in a high position of power that fled yes so the vatican has has a lot to do with it too they're representing what is what is supposed to be the church and um but they, it's it's just not that it's um it's something else but they on paper technically they are filling that role until somebody goes i don't think you are but it has to be one of us not somebody from outside of this realm that's the problem as i see it or not the problem but that's the that's the issue we're dealing with all right, so to just try to keep a constant thread here, you've defaulted, there's 300 million in play here, you've been directed that you better aim it at the queen, which you do, can you take it from there? Well, that uh, that has a, a long story to it, but once I got that, uh, that leading, I went, okay, well, okay, I'll, I'll stop going after the money and go after the queen. I realized that I had done all that. I had everything by going after the money to go after the queen. It was the identical paperwork. So I wrote a, a writ of mandamus, which is one of the prerogative writs uh, in the common law, which is a higher court to a lower court. And um, I demanded that she uphold her oath. And I had mostly Bible verses in there because that's her contract. And they all related to uh, what happened to me and or that the money wasn't being paid. So they're stealing and et cetera. So that's how I did it. I gave her 30 days to answer or and or pay. And she didn't. She went silent. So she's in default. Yep. By her own rules. Yes. So what happens now? So again, I don't know your audience, but um, spiritually speaking, personally, my life changed uh, in a way that I ended up getting um, this, this kind of authority over 
um, spiritual entities. I wasn't seeking it. This is just what started to happen. And things started to change in my life in that aspect. That document that was sent to the Queen ended up having so much authority over everything because of the default. It's I can't even put it into words and I can't describe it for you. But something definitely changed. And um, up to the point where I ended up going to the UK last November to speak at an event on 5G. And we've been holding off on speaking. This is one of the first interviews I've done in a long time, just so you know that. But I went and I'm not sure why I went until the last day. And I ended up through a set of circumstances. I was actually going to look for, um, I'm a drummer. I was going to look for antique drums in London and ended up in front of Buckingham Palace by mistake. <laughs> what ended up happening there, there's, uh, there's, a, there's a thing out just outside the, the Buckingham Palace, the big Westminster Abbey's right there, and the Parliament buildings, all in this one area around this circular structure that is, uh, I would say, the seat of evil. That's the best way I can describe it. I won't get into what happened there, but um, it, we changed things there. And it was because of that document that I had sent to the Queen years ago, and there's nothing they could do about it. Well, I, I guess I, I need to reassert one point here. So I totally am getting what you're laying down about the spiritual bump in authority. I totally follow. I understand what you're saying. I understand what these people in the black robes are risking. If someone does walk in there and know what the hell they're doing and take them down, they fall. They fall a long ways. They lose their honor and everything else. But I, I've got to ask again, if any one of us in the normal world, working, living human beings, men and women, were found to be in default, we would in fact either pay money or a sentence of some sort or jail time or lose our property. Something would happen to us. So as it stands now, you've got some portion of the government in Canada in default. You've been directed to aim that at the queen, which you realized you pretty much already had did. She's recognized as in default. So I've got to ask, is anyone in this broken, corrupt, blacker than Satan's pitch system ever going to pony up and, and recognize, I don't know, their 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 oath, their honor, whatever, however you want to define it. Now that you're in default, something has to be done, doesn't it? Yes, that's the whole point. So what needs to happen is the system itself needs to be um, judged, for lack of a better word. We need to default the actual system. And the way to do that is to use the system and prove that it is not honorable, because that's what they're saying up in these other realms. Because technically, it, like I said, it is balanced. There's, yeah. there's nothing so what, about what you just said that I am not so with you. Even to the point where you're supposed to call that individual in the black gown up there, that sertanian gown, you're supposed to say your honor. Um, it's all a bit much. Um, well, but, but go ahead. Yeah. So, as, and as far as, you know, a debt, I mean, the reason why I was in court was because of a debt. And... Um, it's all about debt. It's everything, everything they do is money. It's all about um, them getting money off of your birth certificate because of a, a so-called trust. Um, so what I was doing was a counter to that. And, and in Lex Mercatoria, you, you, what you want to do is um, conditionally accept everything. You don't deny. That's, that's going into dishonor. So I could literally come to you, Crow, and go, you owe me 
$1 million. And I'll put it on a piece of paper. I don't have to say why, because it's a claim. And claim is the strongest word in law. And I found this out by looking in Black's Law Dictionary when I was looking up demand. And it said demand is the second strongest word in law next to claim. So everything is done by claim. Therefore, you can make any kind of claim you want unless somebody has a higher claim or counters the claim in the proper way, it stands. But you have to justify it? You have to prove it in the court of law? No, you can just make a claim and that's, this is the thing. So they can claim that, oh yeah, we're the government. But, but wait a minute. So you have a claim now. You have a $300 million claim right now. That's right. But I used it in a, in a different way than, um, than getting money from it. Well, let me, let me just back up for a second here. Money's not my main goal here. My main goal is that at some point, those people who levy the supposed law against us have to not be above the law anymore. When they go into default, there's a repercussion for that. When you make a claim against them, there's a repercussion for that. So I'm not really concerned. I don't mean to be rude that you don't get your $300 million. I'm more concerned with them weaseling out of a contract that they invented. Yes. And if they do, here's the thing. In this other realm, then the system itself goes into default. And where's the chain of command Like the, in the pyramid structure? It's going from that level court all the way up to what? Well, it goes up into, into the, these merchant families. That's what, that's what it is. And these merchant families, I don't know how far you want to get into this, but you might want to read the book of, of the Enoch on what, what they are. They're not, uh, there's a different DNA strand here. I'll put it that way. So these beings are, have um, claimed control here. But according to the Bible, which they all have to swear an oath on, or at least the queen did on their behalf, dominion was given to a being called Adam, who was fairly recent in um, the scope of things. That DNA strand is what this is all about and in getting control of that. Where does the DNA strand, where's the root? Is Adam the root of the DNA strand that you're talking about here? What happened was, if you read the book of Enoch, which was banned out of the Bible, what happened was Adam was put here or created here, however you want to look at that. And when you, when you, when you, when you break down our bodies, um, we are very much like the earth. We have 70% water, just like the earth. We have all the minerals, uh, blah, 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 blah. So we can't come from here, that DNA strand. There was another DNA strand here who bred into that. There's stories in the Bible and in Book of Enoch and in other cultures have this same legend and or story. Those that fell from the sky bred with those that were here. So however you look at that, it doesn't matter, but there, it's an event that happened. And those, the offspring of that, of those events are the so-called Illuminati, the elite, the blue bloods, the royals, the, however you look at them. Well, to take this to the logical extension here, you've put some important people in default and you have yes. a claim against them. That, in fact, for I don't know how many people will understand that are listening without a hell of a lot of research, that means somebody's butt was demoted somewhere and probably yep. just not one somebody. But it's not like at the corporate board table, is it? It's no. something way more insidious, isn't it? Yes, and and so what instead of going after the 360 million those all that documentation was way more important in what you just described than um that i can get across to the listeners i can just tell you that's how it is and you have to 
you don't have to take my word for anything, but I'm just here to tell you how things were in my life. And defaulting the queen was a big, big, big move. Like something major happened there. How many people do you think are benefiting? Is it solely, mostly just you or your immediate family? Or do you think all of us benefited in some way? All of us benefit in some way. This is a worldwide, when you get to that level, you're dealing at a whole other level of things. And like I said, you know, as above, so below, for those that understand that, or the whole idea of fractals. So the, the, the large is the small and the small is the large, like everything's like that. So you can do things on, a, on one scale, but it affects other scales, especially if you understand what you're doing. So you intend for it to do that. Right. We're getting close to the top of the hour here, Cal. So for all the listeners of Hour One, I want to point out that when we come back, we are going to give the nuts and bolts about how to operate using liability against things like 5G and other things that are basically just being implemented against our will. As fate would have it, there's clearly a system here. The only problem is, is we all came through school and not a single one of us, even the people, apparently the lawyers in the world, We're not taught what's being laid down here. So, Cal, we're getting close to the top of the first hour. Um, Can you please tell everybody uh, where they can find your work online? Um, I had a little difficulty tracking down your email. Luckily, I knew Matt Landman, who had it. Um, But just give your contact points out to folks. I'm basically contacted through InPower Movement. I'm a co-founder of that. So... Um, we have a we have a mail system finally up and that's efficient and um, the contact can be made through there. Um, the documents are there and the video that um, that Crow saw. I'm not sure if Jason saw it, but is there as well. And it explains jurisdictions in a in a graphic way that people have told me that has really helped them understand how things are built and. Um, it, it makes things clear. It answers questions like, why doesn't the U.S. Constitution work in court and all that, all that kind of stuff? And then there are reasons for it. And once you see them, and then it's like, oh, well, of course, that's why. And um, it really helps if you, if you watch that video that you'll get, you'll glean a lot from that. And um, then we're on our site, we're going to have uh, teachings on Lex Mercatoria or Law Merchant and um, various other teachings and, and ter- uh, for people who want to go down certain rabbit holes, etc. So, Well, Crow, before we finish up, I have a few things I would like to say for hour one. First of all, the GoFundMe was, as we have said, quite successful. Thank you to everyone. That's awesome. We're going to leave it up for now, though, just to see what might come in and everything else that does keep coming in will go to film promotion. And really what I'd like to see is just how many places that we can travel to to show the film and network with folks, get them together. And I think it would be a great time for all of us, man. Second of all, we were gifted a Nikon P1000 camera, which is way cool. Rose and I are going to use it to shoot the sky. We're going to do some shooting of the moon ourselves and the rest of the awesome things out there. And we'll see what we will see. If anyone has any suggestions on how to use the thing properly, we are very open to it. We ordered some movie posters and we're going to see how those come out. And we now have t-shirts and coffee mugs and things like that available on teespring.com. So you just have to do a Google search for Teespring and Crow777 and you will find the store that we set up there. And give us feedback too. Let us know what they're like because we really don't know yet either. And I think that's it. 
There it is. Um, we're at the top of the first hour here. And to reiterate, in the free speech zone over at Crow777radio.com, we will get heavy into liability, into actual real-life stories from uh, from what I understand is three seed groups uh, fighting against 5G, bringing these newly acquired tools that have to do with liability and putting people in default or organizations in default, as was broadly described here. And I'll mention one more thing before I close down the hour. When YouTube was young, you could actually find clips of judges being beat at their own game, standing up and bowing and surrendering the court. Um, it's very difficult to find any of this on YouTube now because this foul system uses its power and influence to protect itself at the expense of everyone else. At any rate, that is the end of hour one for episode 148. We need to see you all over at crow777radio.com because what we're laying down next has real world implications. So there it is, man. Cheers. <laughs>